I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Folks, do you feel like everything these days is go, go, go? It's nonstop from work to friends to family and a million pressing issues. Sometimes you just need to take a playoff and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. Hey, it's that time of year in Minnesota again to get out on the lake, go to the cabin, sit back, watch some baseball. Coors Light is the perfect refreshment to chill during these summer months. There's only one beer out there that's made to chill. The mountains on the bottom and cans turn blue when your beer is cold and that way you know it's time to chill hit that reset button with some mountain cold refreshment Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Coors Light is the one you should choose when you need to unwind. When you want to hit the reset button, reach for the beer that is made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Welcome to another episode of Purple Insider, our Friday roundtable presented by Scout Logistics and by Symbol, your stock market sports, Matthew Collar, Sam Ekstrom, and Arif Hassan with you. And Arif, I feel like it's just perfect to have you on for a Friday roundtable because the internet is mad at you for analyzing the Vikings moves. So let's just begin with that. We just talked to Delvin Tomlinson, and one of the first things... And Rick Spielman said in announcing Tomlinson, maybe after reading Arif Hassan's work at The Athletic, was <laughs> that he does more than is quantifiable when it comes to the pass rush. And I believe that that's true. Like that if you're a guard, you don't want to go up against Dalvin Tomlinson because he's big and he's nasty. And we found out that he pinned a guy once in nine seconds while wrestling. Still, though, pressure is a big deal when it comes to uh, getting after the passer, not just pushing the pocket back. So uh, evaluate this for me in, in terms of the like thing we can't quantify with things we can quantify. Also, sure. let, let me just say that Arif introduced <laughs> Dalvin Tomlinson to pro football focus during the press conference, um, which I thought was funny because Tomlinson was basically saying, I don't think there's a stat for yeah. pressure. <laughs> like, well, because I had, I had the question queued up and I was like, now I have to like acknowledge that he said that you can't do it before. So I you, well, about actually, it. Delvin Tomlinson, like the first time you met him. Good job. That is entirely within my brand. I feel like no one should be surprised by that. <laughs> no, okay, so my piece at The Athletic, first of all, I want to acknowledge that Dalvin Tomlinson is genuinely just a very good player. Like, I have no issue with a talent evaluation or a market valuation that puts him at, like, $11 million a year. That makes perfect sense to me. My problem is more just kind of the role he plays and what the Vikings need um, because, yeah, the Vikings absolutely need to, to fix the run defense, um, but I feel like they're going to go uh, the majority of the way there just by getting – two linebackers back from injury, and Michael Pierce back on the field because he's a remarkably good run defender. Um, I think that Tomlinson's actually probably a better nose tackle overall than Michael Pierce, and so if it was just kind of a swap, that'd be actually you know, a pretty fundamentally good move. But the issue is that the plan seems to be, 
unbeknownst to Tomlinson, I guess, that he'll be playing a lot of three technique in, in the Viking system. And rushing from the B gap is just not something that he's historically done very well. Even this last year where he's had a lot of pressure, almost all of it came uh, through the center, which, yeah, that's super valuable. But if he's not lining up there, you're not getting a ton out of it except – you get some flexibility if there's a motion or something like that, or if, you know, Michael Pierce goes down, you've got, you know, maybe the best backup nose tackle in the NFL now. Um, he's, I mean, he, the the type of stuff that he'll be asked to do is the stuff that, I mean, he had a 7% pressure rate from the B gap. That's better than what the Vikings have had last year, but it's well below the NFL average there. So a marginal improvement there for a lot of money is probably not the best way to do it. Uh, and, the pressure that he has created. And I agree that you can create pressure without generating a pressure statistic. Um, but even accounting for that, the pressure that he's created is, is really below average for uh, a three technique tackle. Sam, you're muted. You're muted yourself. Unbelievable. Should we stop for a uh, brief breaking news item? You know, I was, uh, oh. I was so caught off guard by this, I forgot to unmute. Kyle Rudolph to the Giants. Oh, wow, look at that. Two years, $16 million. Just a Just a swap of underrated run players. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a great swing tackle move for the New York Giants is what I would say. Yeah. Um, so, Sam, did you – I mean, good for Kyle, I guess, uh, and they could use him in New York. So, uh, Sam, your reaction to uh, what – Arif was saying about the value of Delvin Tomlinson against the pass. Yeah, I I think we're going to see some of that. Um, and, and I think that's kind of what the Vikings have expressed that they want um, when we were all scratching our heads about Shamar Stefan last fall. Um, Andre Patterson insisted that he's not intent on getting sacks and necessarily even pressures from his uh, his defensive lineman. He wants them to occupy blockers, and it kind of sounds like, from what they say, if they happen to push the pocket back, that's a bonus. But they're more about creating like a foundation where centers and guards have to be preoccupied. Linebackers can shoot the gaps. I don't know if that's the um, best way to go about it. Like if you're polling every. Um, coaching staff in the league, but that's the way the Vikings want to go about it. And you can judge whether that's the correct thing or not. But in that sense, Dalvin Tomlinson will do that job extremely well. But some might say, well, I'd rather have four pass rushers on the field at all times. And the Vikings are limiting themselves to two true pass rushers. So there's a difference there. And if you think that, well, it's, it's easy enough, we'll keep them on the field on first and second down, and then we'll have some athletic guys move inside on third down. I don't know if you can always box it in like that because teams are not, as a rule, run, run, pass on first, second, and third down. So there are a couple holes you can poke in it. But, again, I think he's going to fill the Vikings' idea of his niche pretty much to a T. Yeah, and I think that if if that's what the Vikings are going to do, they need to blitz a lot more than they have. I mean, Zimmer uh, shows blitz a lot. He, he's one of the more aggressive in terms of the looks that he'll present in opposing offense. Um, but the blitz rate, uh, even just on third down, where he's known for designing, you know, really excellent blitzes, the blitz rate is fairly low and it's below average in the NFL. Uh, and, you know, when you've got a player like Anthony Barr, when you have the ability to create these one-on-one matchups, if you're going to sacrifice two of your players to not be able to create pressure, you're going to have to create pressure from an additional player that's going to demand a little bit more of your secondary, which is young and had a lot of trouble last year. But 
I, I feel like if that's what you're committing to, if you're committing to having two players that just cannot generate pressure, you need to add another player schematically to create, not blitz every down or anything like that. But I mean, Baltimore's the last team that had a genuinely great defense that committed to just not having two good pass rushers on the field, which included Michael Pierce with Brandon yeah. Williams. And they blitzed a ton. They were the top blitzing team in the NFL that year. And they ranked third in points. Um, so the, there's sort of a theme that develops with both of the players that they've signed, with Delvin Tomlinson and with Patrick Peterson, which is, A, they paid market price for them. They didn't pay below market price. They didn't get a good deal. Uh, they got an average deal for what you'd expect. Um, there's also the fact that these roles that they're asking out of these guys, assuming they're not going to require Patrick Peterson or expect him to be their superstar like he's 26 again, the roles are things that you could have gotten cheaper. And that's another theme is that it, it always seems to be that way, Arif, with this team that you know nobody has a problem with Anthony Barr, thinks he's not any good. It's usually about you paid I know they said he take a took a pay cut or whatever, but like you paid top market price for Anthony Barr to come back, and it's sort of ironic that Daniil Hunter is unhappy uh, because they paid top market price for Yannicka Gakwe for what they got out of Anthony Harris. They paid the top market price in the franchise tag for last year, and this just sort of keeps happening and makes it difficult to do a lot of other things. And, and I think you can look at Delvin Tomlinson and say this guy's really good at football, but the other part of it is. Other stuff has to go right in order for this to work. Yes. And that, that yeah. would be my other hesitation. So those two things, like you, you're always paying top dollar and you need X, Y, and Z to work as opposed to, oh, you just brought in a pass rusher and he'll rush the passer. Yeah, the, I, the last like true bargain that they brought in a free agency was probably Tom Johnson, who, by the way, was pretty bad against the run and was on some pretty good Vikings defenses. Um, which it's interesting how much they've changed their philosophy after Sheldon Richardson, um, who admittedly was up and down, but by the end of the year, his totals in terms of pressure production were pretty good. And that was a pretty good defense as well. Um, yeah. And what's interesting about the Anthony Barr thing is they didn't pay top market price. Anthony Barr set the market and then they paid more than that, right? Because he was scheduled to get something like 13 million with the jets. And they were like, well, or 13 and a half or something. And they were like, well, you know, you do want to come back, so, you know, $15 million it is, I guess. <laughs> like, they negotiated against the market that had already been set. But, yeah, it's weird that, um, you know, in free agency bringing in people, you know, they don't generate a ton of bargains. The last um, bargain that they got from a re-signing, obviously, was Daniel Hunter, and you can only get so much mileage out of that before the player gets frustrated. And so, yeah, you're right. They, they have to make sure that everything goes right because Tomlinson is the kind of piece that, enables other pieces to do really well. And if you don't have those other pieces, then then you've got half of the defense. Whereas, you know, someone like a prime Patrick Peterson or a prime Daniel Hunter or whatever, those are the players that do well and take advantage of those complementary pieces. But if you're signing complementary pieces, like Anthony Barr, who sets up these pass rushes, um, then everything else has to just be lining up to a tee. And then, you know, to the contrary with Patrick Peterson, that's not a player that you can just put in an offensive line or defensive line group and hope that he fits well. You're kind of on an island when you're a cornerback. And if your skills diminish, it's unlikely you're going to be bailed out unless the scheme is like perfect for what, for what you can do and mitigates your maybe declining physical skills. It's less believable that that player is going to flourish 
um, because there's not a lot around him. Whereas on the defensive line, you can rely upon the group of you and hope that that sort of outweighs any um, lack of skill you might have. And if, if, if in two months or not two months, if in six months we're sitting here saying, well, Patrick Peterson's struggling, but we saw this coming, like there was evidence of it. If you can look back and say that, well, we saw this coming, then it might be a questionable signing to begin with because all the writing is on the wall that this might not necessarily work out for uh, for Patrick Peterson. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, the the whole deal with Patrick Peterson is that you knowingly are taking a risk that you can find a way to exploit the stuff that he's still good at and avoid getting kind of dinged by the weaknesses that he certainly still has. I mean, uh, I, I think that it's easy to kind of exaggerate the level of decline that he's had. If you only take a look, for example, um, at his snaps on the outside, eliminate his snaps in the slot, um, you know, he ranks 29th in, in yards per coverage snap given up, which is not, you know, a perfect statistic. He's benefited from, you know, drops and, and inaccurate quarterbacks, um, not taking advantage of receivers getting open and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, when he gets to line up on the outside, when he doesn't have to defend deep, I think he allowed something like a 70% completion rate on, on throws over 20 yards. Um, when he's in a situation where he can take advantage of the fact that he's a really smart cornerback, when he's in a situation where he can take advantage of his length and his size and his strength, um, he's still pretty good. And so if you can isolate those instances to the parts that he's good at, which might be a cover two zone, which, you know, is like a very full circle moment for Zimmer, um, then, yeah, you might be in, 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 in the right spot, but it is like a kind of a high-risk middling reward move. I, I think it's probably still the right move. Like, I get it. They overpaid for him, but, like, everybody else is on a rookie contract. So, like, I get why they did it, but you have to be really careful about how you approach it. I think if their cap situation was a little different and their needs were a little different, I would look at it a little different. Like when Sheldon Richardson comes in for one year and $8 million, I mean, yeah, he's not a perfect player, but you looked at him and said, I mean, that's an opening for them that he can improve and everything else is kind of set and you don't have cap issues at that point, so you can do it. If you're a team like the Jets who just has so much money to spend and you throw that dollar at somebody to come there for a year and hope they improve your secondary, that's okay. With this one, it's like that's a big chunk of what you had left for that job that he's now asked to do where we're not certain that he's automatically going to bounce back. I want to ask you about that with the coverages because I have felt like over the last two years that Zimmer has changed his coverages because – he doesn't have corners who are playing very well. And Xavier Rhodes struggling, Mike Hughes struggling, and, uh, you know, Trey Waynes is sort of Trey Waynes. And then last year, you're talking about rookies. I think you're trying to limit what they do by playing zone coverages. I just could see Zimmer saying to Patrick Peterson, all right, it's island time, buddy. Like, go be that guy because that's what we signed you for. And here's my evidence that when Chad Greenway was on the back half, they still played Chad Greenway probably too much. And when Everson Griffin was on the back half, they still said, hey, rotational rushers, LOL, we don't need those. We're like, Everson will play 900 to 1,000 snaps. That It's sort of like um, Zimmer doesn't really see age all the time. And I wonder if that will be the case here where he'll start saying, ah, got my Xavier Rhodes 2017 back. It's Patrick Peterson. Go Island, my friend. I, I could I could totally see that happening. I mean, the weird thing about Patrick Peterson is we talk about him like losing a step and aging, and that's all true. 
Um, I think like his birthday is within a month of Adam Thielen. Um, like they're very close to the same age. And, and, you know, we've talked about, you know, the Vikings need to have a long-term plan um, to replace Adam Thielen, but we haven't talked about the fact that like, Hey, Adam Thielen's over the hill. Cause he's not right. Um, Peterson has like aged just quicker. Right. Um, so it, it is kind of weird. Maybe Zimmer takes a look at his age and he's like, well, yeah, Harrison Smith, Adam Thielen, they're the same age. I, why would I have to, you know, this guy's really great. Just take a look at what he did in 2018. And what's really interesting is that with Wilkes in 2018, he played more zone than he ever has had in his career. I mean, he's known to be a man coverage corner. His beef with Richard Sherman was that he was a man coverage corner. I mean, he said outright, like, Sherman could never survive, with, you know, with what I do, which, you know, it's it's great television. I love it. But, like, uh, you know, his his best year in the past five years was in a, in a much more zone-heavy scheme where he was asked to do a little bit less. And then, you know, he comes back and, uh, you know, this, uh, you know, this, this defense wants him that they – they did the exact same thing that you're describing Zimmer. They're just like, well, it's Patrick Peterson. We'll put him on an island. Obviously, we'll be fine. And, in fact, he had one pretty good game against D.K. Metcalf where he shut him down. And then the next time he played D.K. Metcalf, he got, like, burned for, like, 130 yards. Uh, <laughs> like, I don't know. It's it's tough because uh, Zimmer loves his veteran corners. He, he lets them do so much. Um, and so – it, it must have just hurt him to change that scheme to to the cover two stuff halfway through the year last year um, because he he has a little bit of disdain for protecting corners. And I think that part of the reason he made this move is that he didn't feel like he had to protect Patrick Peterson. But the reality is you do. And he's really probably pretty good in those scenarios where you protect him. But if you're not going to do that, you're going to expose yourself to a lot of problems. The only thing that gives me a little hope that it's not going to be 100% on Peterson is that Zimmer has shown a willingness to rotate cornerbacks, um, more so than safety, more so than linebacker, more so even than defensive end. Um, Like when Xavier Rhodes was struggling to stay healthy, he was only playing 70-75% of snaps, and they were when they had the personnel for it, they were rotating between Mack, Hughes, uh, Rhodes, and Waynes. So I think it's possible that they don't ask Peterson to play 95% of snaps. I just don't necessarily know who the rotational piece is if if Mike Hughes isn't ready to go. If Mike Hughes is healthy, then it's it's a decent stable because you've got a couple true slots, I think, with Hughes and Gladney, um, a couple true outside guys with Dantzler and Peterson, and a handful of those inside guys can play outside as well. So I, I like that rotation if they choose to adopt it. And I think that might be beneficial for everybody because you have a lot of you have two injury prone guys and you have an old guy. So I think a rotation is actually pretty smart this year. Uh, I was pretty familiar with Terrence Newman. Well, I I also think, too, that um, you have to force Mike Zimmer to rotate you like Xavier. Yeah. How many games are they going to give up before they they realize they have to do it? It took a couple of games for the Vikings to change their defense. Right. And 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 this is the issue, like to to push back again, uh, Sam, um, we asked Zimmer a couple of times this offseason, hey, you're pretty used to having, you know, guys that have, like, lived your defense, have breathed your defense for almost, like, seven years or whatever, and you've added complexity every year, uh, and it's taken a while for rookies to adopt your system. Now your entire, like, secondary is rookies, right? Your entire cornerback group is rookies. Are you going to change what you do? Are you going to simplify things for them? You know, when new players have come into the system, they've had handoff problems, they've had communication errors. I mean, I, I don't think that we would have had the, like, for example, when they got blown up by Buffalo when they were 17-point favorites, 
communication errors all over that defense, right? Uh, and so now that it's all younger players, the likelihood of communication error is going to increase massively, especially if you maintain a complicated defense. So are you going to simplify? And he said, absolutely not. No, absolutely not. And then like six games in the season, he's like, yeah, well, you know, we decided to simplify it. He's kind of a stubborn – it takes a while for him to, like, decide to bail on, on a decision he makes on who the starters are going to be first couple of games of the season. The Vikings are not a team that if they want to make the playoffs can just give. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Up on a game to see what works and what doesn't. Hey, everyone. I want to tell you about our friends at Scout Logistics. And I really do mean it when I say friends. They are fans of Purple Insider over at Scout Logistics. And since they reached out wanting to support this show, I want to tell you about what they do. Scout Logistics is just-in-time transportation for full tractor-trailer loads. And if you're wondering what that means exactly... Well, if you own or work for a company that needs shipping solutions, they are the preferred carrier of Fortune 500 companies across North America, and we have quite a few of those in Minnesota, right? They can ship perishable, non-perishable, FTL or LTL, and they have on-time delivery rate of over 99%. So, if you're like them and you enjoy the show and you have shipping needs, check out ScoutLogistics.com or call 855 217-2688, extension 232, to connect with them directly to find out how Scout Logistics can minimize risk and overperform and go the extra mile for your company. He can be an enigma when it comes to the can Mike Zimmer adapt question. Because it's like, can he midseason make an adjustment that resolves an issue? Like, definitely. Like, can he grow from year to year? Can he spot offensive trends that he needs to fix and add new rules to his defense and all those things? Of course. But then there are some things where it's just like, you will never get that man to change on X, Y, and Z. And the running game, as we know, is part of that, of course, and stopping the run, too. Let me ask a broad question to you guys. So you've got these two players and let's just sort of freeze it right there and not assume any other move at this moment and ask this question, how good are they right now? Like, are they a team that you would lock into? Sorry, still in that middle, my friends, even though you made two big moves, does this move the needle for you? Like Arif, how much did this change things for you that they signed these two guys? I mean, they signed a good player in Dalvin Tomlinson, but in a way that I don't think substantially makes the defense dramatically. It makes the defense better, obviously, but not like dramatically better given the role. I mean, so, okay, so the defense is, is getting closer to average. I still don't think that the defense that they're going to field based on the personnel that they have is an average defense. And so if they still have a below average defense and they maintain, which, you know, Eric Eager was was quick to point out, you can't just make sure that the stuff that you were bad at, you're good at now. The offense is, is probably going to regress, right? If you're not going to do anything to improve the offense, it's going to get worse. If you're not getting better, you're getting worse. Uh, and so the offense is probably going to get a little bit worse just through regression. Uh, and the defense is only going to get a little bit better. At the If we freeze the roster, this team is, I don't think we can say they're a dark horse to make the playoffs. I think they're a middling team. 
Um, I think they're on a path that makes them a dark horse. I think that if they make the right moves in the draft, if they make a couple more, you know, smart signings uh, that are like veteran minimums or whatever, they can they can turn themselves into a dark horse. But freeze the roster now. Well, and to that point, freeze the roster. These would be your starters as of today. We haven't had the draft yet. That's the disclaimer. But Drew Samia is probably starting if you play the game today. <laughs> Rashad Hill's obviously starting. Josh Metellus is starting um, at safety. And yeah, or Patrick Peele, maybe move him to safety. And Stephen Weatherly. Yeah, what do you, what do you think about the, the safety talk? Because I think there was a report um, before he signed that uh, that he was willing to play safety, but teams were going to recruit him as a cornerback. I don't buy for a second that he's a safety. I think he's a cornerback. Do you, do you have any bearing put into that rumor? Uh, I think that he can be. I, I think that – I so here's – I think the issue is that he just really wanted out of Arizona. And however that was going to happen, he was going to do it. And if that meant playing safety, yeah, sure, fine. I think that's how he approached it. I think that now that he has a year of cornerback in a different, you know, team environment, um, he's going to be less willing. But I, I, I think that he doesn't think that his career is done, and if it requires that he be a safety, he'll do it. And, you know, it happens, you know, because some cornerbacks have turned into pretty good safeties. Um, I really wish Antoine Winfield could have, you know, finished out his career as a safety. Um, we saw, you know, Charles Woodson do a pretty good job of that. He's probably the, you know, the best example of in recent, you know, football memory of, of a player doing that. And I think that he's got still has the kind of talent that it would take to, to be that kind of player. Um, so I, I, I don't know. I kind of buy that report, but I think for like different motivations. Can I, can I ask Arif a quick question here, Matthew? I know we've had this discussion on our old podcast numerous times about the guard conundrum, about how guard is a less valuable position than tackle, and you shouldn't overinvest in it. That's been, been your stance for a while now. Is this Vikings approach to addressing guard responsible, in your opinion? Because as of today, they might have one with Ezra Cleveland, and that's it. Um, and it seems like they're either going draft. Yeah. They're either going right. They're either going draft or they're going budget approach to filling those spots. Do you think that's a responsible approach? I mean, you know, I don't think that the guard position is as important as it seems. The offense was good with just the worst guards in the NFL, and so that probably tells you that the guard position, as obvious as it is, is a problem. But I think that not spending any money there is an issue. I think that getting a guy that. You know, if you like the scouting reports in Ezra Cleveland were all like, yeah, he's, you could only really play him a tackle. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so if you if you grab offensive linemen that um, probably can only play tackle and if you spend veterans minimum on a guy that because he's friends with Dennison um, from their time in New York, and you don't have to teach him the system. Um, then that is irresponsible. But I think that you can make bargain moves. I think that you can draft a third round or whatever. And then you can find. Uh, good enough guard. You, I mean, you, obviously you can find a Hall of Fame guard in the third round. I mean, that happens sometimes. But I think you can find reasonably good enough guards with minimal investment. I just don't know if the Vikings are the team. To do, but I also don't know if they're a team that if they spend a lot at guard, you know, they'll. Do, I mean, they spent a bunch on um, Alex Boone, right? That didn't really work out. Um, so you, you can uh, do that with the level of investment that the Vikings have in front of them available to them. Um, I just don't know that with the way that they approach these bargain guards, they can do it. They they do. I guess they did a little bit with Josh Klein. They did a little bit with um, with Joe Berger. So it's possible. Austin Blythe still available, caller. That's your guy. 
It'd be a great addition. I mean, somebody who can play your system who can give you average play. And, I mean, that's the thing is that the difference between absolutely terrible, dead last in the league, and average is a pretty darn big jump. Uh, If they had made a huge move at guard, though, I would have supported it just by that's where your pressure has come from the entire time Kirk Cousins has been the quarterback here. So if you can remove that, maybe that will help based on how your quarterback plays. Uh, I want you guys to to tell me better or worse, the Vikings right now, and again, like freeze frame roster because we don't know what's going to happen, better or worse right now. And I'm just going to name a couple of teams and you guys tell me what you think, like if they're better or not. Uh, Football team, do you think they are better right now or not than football team? Or if you go first. Yeah, they're better. I, I love Fitzpatrick, and Taylor Heineke is obviously going to be fun to follow. But, I mean, the quarterback is king. They're better. I think they are. I think football team has made some nice moves. I love Darby. Um, I love Samuel. But Arif nailed it on the head. They don't have a quarterback. I don't think Fitz. so. I don't think, I don't think they're as good as them right now. Because they have one of the best defensive lines in the NFL, they have a good offensive line, and they just added Curtis Samuel for another weapon, and I get it that it's Fitzpatrick, and maybe they'll draft Mac Jones and he won't be that good or something. Um, hey, we're freezing rosters, man. We're, but, you've right, got right, Fitzpatrick, right, 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 right. Gary Terry, and Curtis Samuel, and... I'm taking it. I think I'm taking it because their roster as a whole is stronger, especially since they added William Jackson, and I'm not sure how much... Um, Kirk Cousins can fill in the gaps that the Vikings have right now in freeze frame roster, whereas I think Ryan Fitzpatrick steps into a roster that's really, really strong. So I, I, I'm going to give slight edge, even though it's Fitzpatrick, and I know he hasn't generally won a whole lot um, in his career, but I'm going I'm to go with him. Dallas Cowboys, better or worse than the Minnesota Vikings right now, Reef? Uh, worse. Um, I mean, they, they both have issues generating pressure, um, but you know, whatever. Uh, I, it's, it's Dak Prescott. Uh, I think that, you know, they've got the best claim to be able to say they've got a better receiver core than the Vikings just because they've got three. Um, and, uh, and you know, b- before the quarterback shift, I mean, C.D. Lamb was, was doing pretty well compared to Justin Jefferson. Um, so it's there. Uh, the issue, of course, is because uh, I, don't, I don't know where Shadobi Awuzie ended up, but it wasn't in Dallas. Cincinnati. Yeah. Um, they've got an issue with, with some of the talent that they've had. I think they kept Byron Jones, who I just found out like yesterday didn't commit any penalties at all, and he's been a lot better. Um, so the defense is, I think, a little bit better than he gets credit for. But, yeah, I mean, oh, yeah, and they re-signed Jordan Lewis. Um, I, I, I think Dallas is probably better. I think that the, the Dallas investments – are coming to roost a little bit. Like they, the, I don't know if you can fall back on. Well, Dallas has the best offensive line in football anymore. That was the that was the line for a couple of years there. But you know, when you're that good, everybody wants to get paid. You can't keep everybody. Um, they're paying a running back a lot of money, and they're now paying a quarterback a lot of money. They're paying receivers a lot of money. So I'm not sure if that defense is gonna is going to be all that strong in years to come. Maybe, maybe uh, Mike McCarthy and who's his defensive coordinator, not George Edwards, whoever's above George Edwards, um, whoever's bossing, whoever's bossing George Edwards around, maybe has some tricks up his sleeve, but 
I don't know if they're well coached enough either. Like I don't have a lot of faith in McCarthy. So I, I guess I'm, I I'm taking Kellen Moore, taking the Vikings. Yeah, this one's hard for me because the Vikings technically get to say they were seven and nine last year. They win a meaningless game at the very end, and that's the one win that's the difference between them and the Dallas Cowboys, six and ten. And they played Andy Dalton for most of the year. And now they get Dak Prescott back with an incredible set of weapons. I don't trust Mike McCarthy at all to have that team be great. But I also think that weapons drive the success. And right now, they have a better group than the Vikings because the Vikings won't do what we keep begging them to do and get another receiver. <laughs> I mean, I, and even even their poor offensive line is probably still better at this moment. But I think that Dak Prescott is also a level up on Kirk Cousins. So I think I would lean a very slight edge to Dallas, but the McCarthy factor sort of brings me back. Uh, I got two more. Arizona Cardinals. They have made some moves. They brought in J.J. Watts. Uh, I am not a huge Cliff Kingsbury believer, and they play in a very tough division. Arif, do you think that the Vikings are better than Arizona? Uh, I am not a Kingsbury, uh, yeah, Kingsbury believer. Um, I like Kyler. I think he's actually a little bit overrated by draft Twitter and and, and football analysts in general. Um, D Hop is nice to have. Ah, uh, you know, I actually, honestly, I think that this is the minority opinion, and so I'm going to be open to being very wrong on this and being convinced. But I think the Vikings just might be better than the Cardinals. I like JJ Watt, but he's not, you know, JJ Watt, right? Yeah, I don't know. Matt Prater might put them over the top. That's a pretty, that's a high level signing. Um, JJ Watt, that that's useful. Um, useful. AJ Green is probably the Fitzgerald replacement. That that's the vibe that I'm getting there. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't know. I felt like they um, the way that they kind of whimpered to the finish last year raised some questions in my mind about the the sustainability. And obviously they won they won that crazy game with Seattle in overtime. That I don't know if they had any business winning. And they had the the hail mary shortly after that. That again. I don't know if they had any business winning. Maybe they were actually like, what'd they end up? Eight and eight or seven and nine? Maybe they were actually a five-win team last year. I, I don't know. I, I do like Kyler, but I guess I keep coming back to the Vikings have this high floor with Kirk Cousins and Mike Zimmer's schematics, and they're probably not going to dip too much further than, you know, I think seven and nine sort of is their floor. So I think I go Vikings again. I also think that their division is very, very tough. And I know yeah. the Vikings play that division, um, but they have to play every not twice. twice. Yeah. yeah, right. And I think that San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Seattle are still better than Arizona, which makes me think that, I mean, they're probably a 7-9 and nine type of team that everyone's gotten a little hyped over because they've spent some money and they brought in J.J. Watt. And Kyler Murray, you would have thought halfway through the season he was going to win the MVP the way people were talking about him, but – it didn't really come to fruition. He got hurt toward the end of the year. And I'm with you, Arif, that just Cliff Kingsbury, I'm not sure he's got it. I'm not sure that he did everything he could to maximize Kyler Murray either. One more team. The New Orleans Saints, with whom Stever will be playing quarterback for the New Flame Orleans Saints. Jameis Winston or uh, Taysom Hill. There's going to be a heck of a camp battle between those two. Are the Vikings better than the New Orleans Saints? Uh, depends on how effective LASIK is for quarterbacks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's a storyline. Not so much for guy. receivers. <laughs> uh, 
Um, yeah, I think the Saints are better. Um, that defense is good. It's you know I don't think it's great, but it's good. Um, they what they franchise Marcus Williams or they they got him back somehow, right? Um, yeah, uh, I like that defense. Um, they get uh, they lost Trey Hendrickson, but they get Marcus Davenport back. Um, which I think is a loss. I think Davenport's overrated. But just overall, that defense is pretty good. Um, you, you get Michael Thomas. Uh, I, I think you're going to get a couple more shots to throw. Uh, I think Jameis is going to win the battle. So I think you're going to get more, a couple more shots to throw deep downfield. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just it's, it's a really well-constructed roster. I, you know, I said quarterback is king. I think that Kirk is a better quarterback than Jameis. But I think that the difference between them is small enough for you to be able to um, take a look at the rest of that roster and just say it'll be able to carry him. Collar, I know you did a show with Nick Underhill, Saints guy. Are, are they having like a massive exodus on on one or both sides of the ball because of their their cap hell that they're in? Um, I mean, because I lost I, that puncher. That's brutal. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, yeah. I mean, yes and no. Like a lot of players. It would be like when the Vikings lost a handful of guys that were role players, that they have found ways, as teams so often do, to just finagle with the cap. And losing Breeze to retirement has created a, a huge amount of cap space right there in itself. So when it was like, they are $700 zillion over the cap. Like, well, a big part of that was Breeze retiring that helped them out. So their roster has not fallen off the face of the earth. They still have the two great tackles, the two... Uh, great playmakers, Michael Thomas and Elvin Kamara. But losing Emmanuel Sanders is a thing for them, and their defense is still pretty strong. I just don't know what version of Jameis Winston you see, and even the good version wasn't that good. And so that that's where I would question it, but it's also Sean Payton, and he finds ways to get a lot out of quarterbacks. They won with Taysom Hill last and, year. And Teddy, yeah. And I, Teddy. I, I think I'd go with I, I don't understand it. The worse the quarterback is, the better that defense seems to do. I don't really understand it. Like, that defense was – nuts while Teddy was playing. Yeah, like it just makes everybody better around him, that's all. Yeah, right. He's a, such a good leader. <laughs> Do not say that sarcastically. Uh, so, Sam, better or uh, worse than the Saints? Uh, worse than the Saints. I think, I think the Saints had the best roster in football over the last two years. They had the fewest weaknesses. And that foundation's going to hang around. And when you have just a, a real offensive-minded coach like Sean Payton who – knows how to get the most out of your, your quarterback. I, I tend to think they will survive, maybe not thrive, um, but I think they'll still be above 500. Well, those were the teams that I just felt like, as of this moment, you'd be looking at and saying, you'll be competing for playoff spots with those teams. And I feel like we're kind of 50-50 on whether we're better, you know, the Vikings are better or not than those teams. And that's where we get to kind of the last part of this, which is sort of what's next, but also let's include the draft because what's next is obviously they have to do some stuff at guard, at safety, uh, you know, uh, on the defensive line still, they could add a pass rusher, but let's, let's like sim forward uh, on Madden style to the draft. What, what do you think the favorite is right now for what direction they go, Arif? Uh, offensive line, I think, is the favorite for the direction they go. Like, I know the mock drafts generally are picking an edge rusher for them. Um, but I, I think that if uh, if you nail down Vikings fans right now as to who they would pick, it would probably be an offensive lineman. Um, that might be a, more of a hope than a reality. But I, I think that's 
likely the case that it seems like that. Plus, I mean, they technically made moves along the defensive line. It might, you know, allow mock draft analysts to kind of ease off on, you know, continuing to draft them, Quiddy Pay and Gregory Rousseau and Jalen Phillips and so on. But um, I could just as easily be convinced that the, the favorite in-house is, is an edge rusher. Hey, everybody, want to tell you about our friends at Symbol. Symbol is a new sports marketplace where you can trade shares of professional teams like stocks. So as we jump fully into free agency season, you're going to want to get in on teams now before your team's stock rises. Go to Symbol.app, that is S-I-M-B-U-L-L.app, Sign up using the promo code PURPLE and get a $10 deposit bonus if you're a first-time user, and then you are off and rolling. Here's how it works. You buy stocks of your teams, and when your team wins, you earn cash payouts that are instantly deposited. If you sign up for Symbol, you also get updates emailed to you directly with the trends on which teams are on the rise. So check out Symbol.app or follow them on Twitter at Symbol Exchange and check out the Marketplace for Sports today. Folks, March is quite the month for Minnesota sports, and SodaStick has you covered with Minnesota sports-themed gear. The hockey team is headed down the stretch, so you've got to check out the Dollar Bill Krill shirts, and baseball is ready to get started. Go to SodaStick.com, check out the Touch em All shirts, the Twinkies hats, and the Tomorrow Night hoodies. If you use the promo code PURPLEINSIDER, you can get free shipping. So go to SodaStick.com to get your original Minnesota sports-inspired goods, all of their apparel is screen printed here in Minnesota on super soft, super comfy shirts and hoodies. You will love it. That is Soda Stick, S-O-T-A-S-T-I-C-K.com, original Minnesota sports inspired goods, code Purple Insider for free shipping. Yeah, I think you need need offensive line. You don't need need as edge rusher right now, which doesn't preclude that from being picked. You don't always right. draft for need need. Right, they could um, fall in love with a guy, and there's some insane athletes at edge rusher in this year's draft, so they could fall in love with a guy easily. Yeah, um, they also need need safety. So I mean that that has to be considered as well. They don't have somebody I'm comfortable with playing next to Harrison Smith. I still think that I think the back end of free agency will probably be used to fill that hole in some way, or at least bring someone in to compete. Usually there are cheap safeties available. Do you say Sandejo? Yeah, he's available. Snap him up. Hey, let's just get the gang back together. Um, where's, How, how's uh, where's, George Iloka's ACLs at the moment? Yeah, how's Tremaine Brock doing? How's uh, Emmanuel Lemur? Let's get, <laughs> him, get him all back. 6'9 linebacker? Yeah, let's bring him back in. <laughs> yes. Him and Vigil and Kendricks, Barr. Yeah. I'll just admit, I'll make this prediction that we'll know by draft night which way it's going to go. That will that by the time we get to like draft because we'll know after the draft certainly which way they're going. Thank gone. you, thank yes. you, Uri. <laughs> by the start of draft night, we will be very confident where they're going to pick because I think in recent years they have left spots open when they get to the draft and said, we're going to fill it with this. And that even goes for, that's not even first round picks. That's second and third round picks that they've done that with. They used the draft pick on Pat Elfline to fill an immediate spot, which worked for a year. They used their second round pick to fill an immediate spot with Delvin Cook after losing Adrian Peterson. I mean, this team doesn't even have to pretend that they 
draft best player available because they don't. And and last year, now they nailed it with Justin Jefferson. They but, happened to get the best player. Yeah, right. Not even right. just available, just period. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, and that worked out stupendously well for them. Uh, but you know, had they reached and taken somebody else there instead or fallen in love with somebody else, we might have criticized it and said, well, you didn't take the best player. You took the fifth or sixth or seventh best receiver. And, you know, the corner was the same sort of thing where it was like guaranteed they were going to take a corner at that point. Yeah, we always they were going to grab two and they did. And and this even goes for when they pick Garrett Bradbury. I mean, it felt like, uh-oh, you have to improve on Pat Elfline. You have to take an offensive lineman here. And there were some other players that came about that have made bigger impacts for their teams that they didn't pick because they really, really needed Garrett Bradbury there. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I don't mean to go through every pick, but every pick is this way. Like, uh-oh, we're going to lose Kyle Rudolph in a year. We better pick Irv Smith. Uh, uh-oh, we don't have a tackle for the future. We better take, you know, Brian O'Neill. And I mean, this goes way back. Jarek McKinnon, they had just lost Toby Gerhardt. We knew that they were going to pick a running back, Daniel Hunter. The Robinson was on the back end. We knew that they were going to take a mid uh, mid round guard, uh, defensive end, which I mean they kind of do every year anyway. Um, yeah, I mean they they do a very good job of not leaking anything, but they also do a very poor job of not making it like insanely obvious what they were going to do. Like Laquan Treadwell, we knew like yeah, it's either Doxon or Treadwell, and then Doxon was off the board, so it was Treadwell. So yeah, I mean they the the need profile of the Vikings makes their strategy fairly evident. The only time it was kind of off balance or it put us off balance was with uh, Mike Hughes. And I genuinely think that um, they really expected a guard to fall into their lap in the second round. And they got pretty lucky with Brian O'Neill instead. Well, they also probably knew that they weren't long for keeping around Trey Wayans and maybe not yeah. even Xavier Rhodes either. So yeah, was... it, it, it made sense in retrospect for sure, especially as the contract situations became, you know, more imminent. But um, that was the only time where it felt like they didn't grab the most immediate need in the first round. Right. And that we was also, all... like, coming off the most complete team they've ever had in the Zimmer era. Yeah, this too. is true. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So they, they probably felt like they could just make a luxury pick. Yeah. have not checked on Will Hernandez lately, but I'm sure he's been okay. Uh, so, <laughs> Arif, really fun to have you for these Friday roundtables. You're going to be doing a bunch of them with us throughout the summer. Sam? Nice to see you again. We've seen a lot. Good to see you, Reacting Matthew. to everything that has been going on, so we'll get together. It was we'll do great it to talk to you again, Sam. Hi, Matthew. Oh, hi, Arif. Uh, <laughs> well, that's a great place to end this. So th- thanks, Arif. Great stuff, and we'll do it again soon. Awesome.